The Daily Review, a podcast dedicated to reviews and discussion of TV, movies, and books. Look for us at Daily Review on Facebook and Twitter and dailyreview.com on the web. That's D-A-L-E-Y review.com. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Tonight we're here to discuss the 12th episode of the fourth season of NBC's This Is Us. This one is called Hell of a Week Part 2. This really snuck up on us because they had initially put out that they were going to be taking a three-week break. And then, like, totally last second, I mean, to the point where, like, many viewers did not even realize the show was on. They slipped in this one. Now we're going to be on break for two weeks, they're saying. I guess there's a State of the Union address and some other things. Correct. Super weird about, like, three-week break. No, forget about it. We're going to play this anyway. Weird, weird, weird. So as reviewers, we did not receive screeners and such in time to get this any quicker to you guys. But we definitely are interested in how this week was progressing for the rest of the Pearsons. In comparison, when you say hell of a week, so far, Randall has had the harder hell of a week. I would say yes. Compared to just Kevin and Randall Current, yes. Spoiler alert. The point of this episode is basically closing out the Sophie chapter forever. I agree with you. So that's painful, but it's not an intruder in your house, mental breakdown and and all that. I mean, there is a mental breakdown of like that you always thought it was a possibility, but I think that, yeah, of course, no one's like fearing for your life kind of thing. Kate may still run away with it, but so far Randall's in the lead for- (laughs) I agree. If you're keeping stats, folks, the hellishness of the week goes to Randall still at this point. These three different storylines we have of all Kevin. We have only just the teeniest nugget of Kate that's thrown in there. And Randall, I really only say is thrown in there just to help us keep the timeline for like where we are in the week parallel to Randall's story that we had already seen the previous week. So things like the phone call and stuff like that. So we're really not going to get into Randall at all. We have three different time periods for Kevin. We've got this little toddler Kevin, which if you guys recall, this was the first night that the big three were out of their cribs and we're going to be sleeping in their toddler beds. So this was a big transition night. And we had Rebecca at a commission with cough syrup. She So it was all on Jack. This was on Jack's watch. And... Additionally, just to add a layer of eerie ookiness, he was watching The Shining that he's evening. He's still trying to watch <laughs> The Shining. It's right? been a, it's been a week and he still can't finish The Shining. I have to agree, though, Paul. Do you remember when we had three toddlers and I specifically compared them to having ghosts in the house? Because they were spooking. Because things would move around inexplicably. So like you'd open the fridge and like the car keys are in there or you come around the corner and like one is just like walking by a doorway and they're like quiet little padding little feet and whatnot, but it's like this constant presence, this little presence that isn't that feeling of like a full adult who's like standing there ready to converse with you, but just like that nagging feeling that something needs you or needs your attention, but it's just a wandering, you know, you don't know where you could walk into a bathroom. You might like pull back a curtain. There's one. There's another one now. Like they're just there. (laughs) Do you remember this? Sure. Sure. You can mostly track them by smell though. Oh my God. You're disgusting. Okay, one thing that I want to call a little bit like, mm, I'm just not so sure about this, is the idea that the big three still had mobiles over their beds, okay? And that Kevin was specifically attached to the sheep mobile over his bed. Yeah, it's the trouble that they couldn't get it over the bed. No, that wasn't the trouble. The trouble was that Rebecca gave away the crib and all the contents of the big three's bedding and mobiles and whatnot. Sure. Had Kevin loved those sheep and been this verbal little toddler kid, he would have expressed loving those sheep prior to this night, in my opinion. Me and you know that like when when the kid lays down, they're like, where's my fill in the blank? My blankie. Where's my Snoopy blankie? We've got one who needs the Snoopy blankie. We got one who's who needs to have cow that Kevin would not have laid down without saying like, turn on my sheep, you know, turn on the mobile more than just this night. So the fact that the sheep are gone, totally cool. But I think weird that whatever affection Kevin had for it hadn't been voiced like every insanely repeatable toddler comment that they gush at us all those years. Toddler Kevin's story, I'm afraid, was the weakest of the three because I'm saying definitely it was almost like they have a this is us checklist. And one of those was we need a Jack speech this week. What can generate? a jack speech well we gotta have toddler kevin have a problem well what's his problem he lost something what did he lose his mobile 
Right. And like, that's the thing. Like, it should have been an, an oh shit, the mobile sheep accidentally went in the Goodwill bag because we all know Kevin loves them. This or, is an established fact within the family. Or but, another stuffed animal got misplaced or something. But the, the mo- yeah, that accidentally went in. However, it happens. I mean, yeah, the accidental removal of it, but the mobile part of it is lame. I think the mobile part of it is supposed to represent childhood, innocence, baby dumb, right? You could have a stuffed animal for the rest of your whole life, right? But the idea that it's specifically a mobile that goes on a crib, that means it's like, that was that time of your life. That was that portion. Like nobody has a mobile over their bed past their crib time. Mm-hmm. I think that's the the line they're trying to draw for us is that he's trying to hang on to a baby thing. A thing that was appropriate when he was very, very young isn't able to continue on with him. But I think there should have been a more of a we understood he loved that thing, but that thing slipped away. Yeah. You know, more like that than just this. Like the, oh, what? You like sheep? I didn't even know you like sheep. Like wait what yeah i mean toddlers talk about the same thing like over and over and over and over and over and over and over again how many nights do you think he asked for the fucking sheet (laughs) every fucking night right talk to dr seuss what's he say i don't know the stories the repetition right the the whole thing those little guys want is just say the fucking thing over and over and over again that's where it's all at the sheep the sheep the sheep so yeah bleh, on the you never knew we loved sheep those yep. sheep and we got a jack speech out of it which was basically the whole being able to move on from sophie later on was the same sort of thing it was just sometimes you got to move on without what you want and that's just life and that's something else you will love equally well will replace it like this little scrubby tiger stuffed animal (laughs) that is the whole thing hey is it a good message sure you know the kind of things you know gosh even like the bible has the like you know cleave the rest of your life behind and move forward with with your married life right cleave it there comes a time when you gotta cleave the sheep you know you gotta leave them behind cleave shit (laughs) what a messy job let's cleave that storyline off and head to teen kevin this was kind of a surprising storyline for me what did you think? It took me about half the episode and you saying it to be like, oh, this is the night they find out Jack dies. I didn't piece that together in the timeline or the clothing that they were wearing or any of it, really. So it's a combination. There's the Jack, the night that Jack dies and some period after they're married, but they kind of look the same. And it's kind of like the same phase of their lives, basically. I'm kind of grouping those together in terms of like, we're not going to separate out pre-graduation Kevin and movie extra Kevin. That's kind of the same era. Uh, Yeah. It's all just within like, I don't know, six months time or something like that. Really, There were a couple parts to this that really stood out. The idea that Rebecca has been presented to us as a mom who has been very available to her kids. I would say a big cheerleader to her kids. However, I will caveat that by saying clearly the biggest cheerleader for Randall and closest to Randall. It surprised me and did it surprise you this concept that Kevin would have had like a surrogate mom. Hmm. The thing with Randall and Rebecca is Randall was the easiest. He wanted to be her friend. The other two didn't. You true. Know? Very true. Kevin, I never tried any charm on a friend's mom or anything like that as a teenage boy, but I do remember thinking I I had the the juice to do whatever I wanted to do. Oh my! And so, like a little Mrs. Robinson action. Not not to that level, but I wasn't as put together as Kevin either. So, mm-hmm. so I could imagine that it's not that he wants to have sex with her or something that advanced, but flirting with her and, and kind of getting well she's close. one of those moms that are like half mom half friend and so she's one of those difficult moms to understand i think when you're a teenager she's a mom other moms don't like <laughs> She's the mom who, when you really look at this bigger story, very evident that if you dig into the details, obviously the part where they pointed out where they had saved for two years to fix the pipes and here she blew the money on a vacation. If you dig even further and you really, and you see the part of when she pours the Prosecco and she says illegally for kids Some who are toast, under 21, right. right? So, okay, why does that matter to me so much? Do I care about a kid just having a drink now and then when you're under 21? Not really. However, this is a story of an alcoholic. 
And so when you see that she was one of the adults in those early years pushing that boundary line, oh, you're kind of an adult. It's good enough, you know, and sort of introducing that into his world. Not that he hadn't drank before. I'm sure he had. It just it felt like, oh, you're like a wolf in sheep's clothing. You are actually a bad role model and someone who has having a bad influence in a lot of ways. However, you come off as a very supportive best friend kind of way. That's a that's a pretty good summation. She, above anyone else, appeared to believe in him and his acting dream more than anyone, even maybe even Sophie. But on the other hand, the Northern Lights were a bigger deal than getting the furnace fixed. It's a very immature decision. And that's the thing. And so then that makes you even question the part about her support of Kevin's acting career, because it's not like Rebecca didn't support it. But at the same time, when they give you a character who shows these immature decisions, then she's the one supporting Kevin's choices. It, it paints it in a, in a light that's like, mm. I don't know that the creators are supposed to make us feel like these choices were what we were supposed to think were great for Kevin. Well, and this is a very encapsulated example. We have his first appearance on TV and Rebecca missed it when she asked if there's going to be a rerun for a soap opera. That was about the dumbest thing I ever heard. And come on, what is the deal with that? But you know what? What a good example of you have cool mom who's got like this blonde hair and it's all like she's all like uh, bouncy and bubbly. And then you have Rebecca asking questions that like a grandma would ask like, oh, do they rerun soap? No, they don't rerun soaps. (laughs) Everyone knows they don't rerun soaps, Grandma. You know, I think that that line made you realize how out of touch she was in the exact line of work he wants to get into. You know, like she has no sense of pop culture or how TV works or anything. And yet her son is in that industry, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think it was just like another way of pointing out like uh, Rebecca's just not with it. Well, I mean, she just started this job. She's she's back in adulting, but adulting for two, I guess, if you want to think of it as, you know, Jack not being there anymore. It's probably overwhelming. You could probably give her an out and be like, well, it's it's a it's a huge adjustment for that. That job thing just happened the other day, basically, in the timeline. But you're right. Overall, she would have had a lot, little time to build up some kind of idea of the industry her son was doing. And she had to have gotten a message at some point that he was going to be on Days of Our Lives. It wasn't just going to be like a random, oh, you're watching Days of Our Lives that day kind of, kind of well, thing. Well, he said that he had told them that both families that he was going to be on, but he had told Rebecca that his line was cut. And so then she thought, oh, he wasn't going to be on. But the reality was that, yes, his line was cut, but he was still in the scene. Yeah. And so, again, it's just like a lack of understanding of how, you know, just because you don't have a line doesn't mean you're in this. You're not in the scene that those kind of things, you know, yeah, that just a little bit more. What did you think about how they are painting Rebecca in terms of just not being able to keep up with anybody. I understand the job thing and I'm with you on that. But we have had this, you know, sprinkling of Kate that is very clear that she has no idea what's going on with Kate. We have the sprinkling of Randall where Randall's taking care of things. And now we have Kevin who she can't seem to even keep up with like anything with him. What is up? Because do we are we really supposed to think that Jack was the one that kept up on all the children's activities all these years and Rebecca just didn't? Cuz I'm pretty sure as a stay-at-home mom all those years That's exactly what she was doing, was knowing what they were all up to. This is the phase of life when things start to go off in very, very different directions. And they are very different. You know, Kate being home, Kevin being in Hollywood and and Randall being at college. It's different than than keeping track of, uh, what do they call it? Like carpool schedules, soccer Kinder care, right. Sure, I totally agree. But she's acting like she would be incapable of that. I'm I'm sorry. Like I get she has triplets, Paul. That's a mom who needs to have her shit together. I'm a mom who has three kids, and I'm saying they are 17, 17, 16 right now. And no, I don't feel like I've lost my ability to understand complicated scheduling and that our entire lives have been complicated schedules as Rebecca's would have been with three kids in two different schools 
with three different schedules. Really? She but can't. she let it all fall off when Jack died. I'm with you. I just, think, I just, I just think it kind of sucks that like, I, it's not that I want her to be more attentive. It's just like, I think they're painting her as extremely absentee. I mean, across the board to Kate, Randall and Kevin, but not just absentee right this second. Like it feels like absentee for a long time. Like Kevin didn't just get close with Claire. They have had this relationship for a long time. Yeah. They're Which very warm. Makes me just feel like, you know, Rebecca just, I don't know. It's, I feel bad for that character. I just feel like there's no way that they've painted Jack as Mr. Mom. He didn't come in and do everything. They showed him at work. So mm-hmm. Rebecca was running right. the household and running the kids and stuff. And like, I would like to think that if you died, even as suddenly and tragically as Jack did, I wouldn't forget how to be their mother. Do you know what I mean? Like after 17 years of balancing it with three kids, I just don't think I would just suddenly not be able to. You'd be very distraught. <laughs> I'm not that part happened already. And I'm, I'm giving her that pass. Like she 100 percent was a hun- was very sad. And guys, for anybody who's lost a spouse and gone through this and you're going to write something to us that says like you just don't get it. I'm saying as the character, I feel like she's a stronger woman than they're giving her credit for. They're writing her as a character who doesn't even know that a soap opera doesn't run reruns. That flakiness and airheadedness has never been a part of her character for me. I never thought of her as, you know, somebody who just didn't know what was going on around her world-wise. Yeah. You know, she she stayed at home. She knows how a TV works, you know, like she's seen soaps. Yeah, I just don't I I just you can be overwhelmed by having to handle the mortgage and the bills and taking on these a uh, job. I would be for sure. But I wouldn't forget how basic things work and I wouldn't forget how to touch base with my kids. So long story short, they're shortchanging Rebecca in this this well, time I think period. They are. are they to you? I mean, do you, are they painting a woman who is so much less layered mm. and full and accomplished as a mother than you would think she would be by 17 years in? So, some of the elements of this episode seemed a little paint by numbers, right? So oh, tell me. They needed a Jack speech. Check. So now they needed a contrast to, to kind of create Claire because out of four seasons, we I don't remember any Claire up no. till now. Right. So they needed a way to create a contrast such that her character could be more sharply defined against another one. Do you know what could have worked for me for that? I wish they would have said something like she's been trying to cut costs so she stopped having cable. So that's why she didn't watch his show. That would match, you know, the the tight money situation she's legitimately in and would just make it more like the situation and circumstances have created this consequence of her not being able to participate in Kevin's life as mm. much. Get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Wouldn't that have been like, yes, that is a compelling thing to think about. Like how much family loses when they lose the breadwinner, the choices and sacrifices. They would have still had the contrast that I'm talking about because she would have been responsibly tending to the bills Mm -hmm. and Claire Claire would be not be doing that. Yeah. So. So see, like just a simple little like, you know turn the dial just a little bit differently and it changes her entirely. It actually makes her a responsible, mature, smart woman trying to figure out a way to pay everything. And this was something she had to sacrifice. That's so real. And that feels like, wow, just like another moment where Jack not being around has this small but impactful effect on the family. Still, Claire had an impact on on Kevin. Her never settle message is is one that he seemed to take to heart and keep caring. They they illust- they've illustrated that his career as a working actor was a long one before he got the Manny. It was something like I don't know, 12, 15 years, something like that. Yeah. So that's a long freaking time to starve basically and still believe in your your dream. And I think they're trying to say that her motivating words were a part of that puzzle that kept him 
kept him going. That makes sense. Did you ever have like a cheerleader in, in your life like that of, of you know, an adult person, maybe a teacher or I don't know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a parent of a friend that sort of saw things and you were willing to listen to them maybe a little more as a teenager. Like I felt so much like both Jack and Rebecca, we've seen if you look back at the previous seasons, tried to put football in perspective for Kevin, tried to say like, well, this is just one part of your life and there's other things for you. And, you know, those it always got washed away. But when Claire said just like one sentence in a smiley, happy voice, like football was just like a blip on the radar for you. Like things are going to be bigger and better for you. You saw how he like absorbed that. Like I could hear you, Claire, where my parents are stupid and they don't know anything, you know? Uh-huh. Did you ever have that experience as a teenager? Hmm. I had one favorite high school teacher. I have many that I don't remember at all. And I have a few that I loathe even to this day. I was in band and band directors have like a big influence on the direction of a band person's life. There was one band director I liked and and the lessons he, he taught have stuck around for a long time and is yes, a teacher and a band director, but not, I didn't live very close to uncles and aunts and that sort of thing. So I didn't really have a steady influence on that score and like influences say at work at the, at Jamal's grocery store. No, nobody <laughs> there was, was, uh, was imparting knowledge on you. No, they were mostly just waiting to drink as soon as the, oh the my God. They, they could <laughs> clock out. Oh my God. Insight into the local grocery store. <laughs> That's hilarious. Uh, you know, for me, because I was an athlete, I'm kind of in the same boat as you as like that extracurricular adult in your life. So for me, it was definitely coaches and stuff who built me up, who I would listen to over anyone else. If they told me to, to change something or do something, Thing or study harder or do it, I would be like, yes, for sure. I will absolutely do it. My parents, I'm like, <laughs> well, there's something about that relationship where it's like, at least the good ones, they measure out their praise and compliments in a way that makes it feel earned. They don't just say, good job, everybody. They don't do that. When you finally hear that, you know, holy shit, I got it right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It makes you feel special, right? It makes yeah. you feel seen. Yeah. Whereas like with your parents, you're like, stop looking at me, you know? And then when another adult says something, you're like, you can see me? I'm real. Like, I completely agree. Parents have lost all their their um, cachet by the time you're a teenager, for sure. Yeah. What did you think about how they subtly, I thought, portrayed teenage Sophie's relationship with her mom and how she viewed Claire versus how Kevin viewed Claire. She only got like a sentence or two in on that. That was interesting in that the way that they've portrayed Sophie whenever she is on Kevin's arm is not the same woman that Sophie will later become after being scorned by by Kevin. Almost got a very generic personality, you know, just like happy to be with Kevin and and that's it. Like does not pass the, the Bechdel test at all. I don't if generic is the right word so much as just like so blank slate like nothing's really happened to her at this point now maybe we're gonna get like a huge backstory because it appears that claire's a single mom they didn't really specifically say that but the northern lights trip was just for two there didn't appear to be a dad anywhere in the picture so maybe she did have a really rough crazy childhood i don't know she definitely like you said feels just like just full of potential young woman but without any specific direction yet True. That one sentence where she kind of admonishes her mom for spending the money the way that she did does broaden her character actually to be like, actually, she's not just arm candy. She's she's a thinking person that that has a stake in the, this relationship and is disappointed that that her role model is is acting this way. And the idea that she didn't say you've saved for two years. She said, we've saved for two years, which gives you a very Randall-esque, who's the adult in the relationship kind of feeling of this time frame. And that definitely it seemed like Sophie was contributing, I guess I want to say, if you say we've been saving, there's something more to that that felt very like she had to grow up a little quicker in some ways with her mom, for sure. Her mom didn't make decisions that were always good for Sophie. Either by her working, contributing to the pot or going without. I agree. Agree with that wholeheartedly or a combination now although claire in some ways gave kevin the respect that he lo- was looking for as an adult how did you like her what's the song not quite a girl not quite a woman kind of treatment with mm. when he asked for the ring i liked the backstory on the ring in that there was this measured patience 
that went into when the ring was accepted. Within that story, the woman could have accepted the ring before he took off for war. But instead, there's that, I think, mature, I will take the ring from you when you come back, of course, giving this hope and this, you know, I will see you again, kind of wonderful part to that. And I think that it's something that in the instant gratification brain of Kevin, the like superstar, everybody loves me, I'm so cute kind of world, being told like, you have to work for this and you have to earn it and it's going to take time and patience and you're going to have to show you're actually worthy of this situation. Yeah, I mean, okay, Claire's got some backbone then, which is great because it's a little like she wasn't completely oblivious to her influence on Kevin. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't just one of those people who was like, yeah, do great. And just kind of bebopped around and forgot about him. Like she thought about whether or not this ring should be a part of this marriage and everything. You know, she clearly had her concerns whether this was going the, the long haul. She wasn't going to have like the concept of love and patience and being with someone be like disrespected by just handing it over. The whole story reminded me of Butch and the watch in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, very much. I mean, no one stored the ring up their ass for a couple of years. We don't know how that ring got around. You don't know. But still, when she gave the story, it was like, this is just like Butch's watch. Yeah. And and when Butch got into all the trouble of his entire plot, basically, because he couldn't live without that watch because of the history, because of everything that the previous owners had gone through to get that to him. Same deal as this ring. You're not going to just willy nilly give it to this kid who you like. But come on now. Just having the time hasn't passed for you to have proven yourself enough, specifically in the matter of being a good husband and a good man. He's still 17, 18 years old. Exhibit A is that story of that they told at dinner a couple of weeks ago about why he even proposed. It was like some happenstance thing at a hot dog stand that he saw this thing and there were rings or what. Princess Bride. It was 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 all all based on Princess Bride. It was all bullshit, though. It was all like. It's childish. Right. Right, it was right. Very, right. very childish. And so that's the thing. Like she was saying, you know, you're just becoming a man. This is a brand new everything. You have to show that you're going to be a good man, a man worthy of having this family jewel, you know, in your lives, meeting Sophie, but also meeting the, the ring itself. Claire was just enough of the kind of woman who didn't have like a big lip on that she wasn't there for her daughter's wedding. Most parents would be. Said to me that there was a little bit of resistance reserved, you're too impulsive, you're too impetuous, and I'm not about to hand over a valuable, not just monetarily, but memory-filled heirloom to somebody who's so impulsive. What are you going to do next? Right. He's going to cheat on her. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Uh, Crazy. In the current day timeline, the grown-ups Sophie and Kevin make these kind of lame jokes back and forth about he, how he turns out. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we don't have to go several episodes of this to find out. It would have been kind of actually make more sense if they knew that this was coming to put some of those he, you know, opens a hot dog stand thing yeah, in he opens a- episodes ago, yeah, right. you know. Right. That would have been a little uh, a little nicer for us, but they 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 wrapped it all up in this one episode. They tell us why it's goodwill hunting. That's that they go to the movie Movie breaks, they never see the end. And therein lies the whole metaphor, right, for the way that they are going to end their possible will they, won't they relationship. They'll 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 put out the last sparks, right, by finally watching it later. What did you think about the promise that they made as seventeen year olds to never watch the ending? That's a very seventeen year old promise to make, but it is something that they kept, and it is I don't know something sweet about it that that it was something that they could share that no one else would have any real connection to or anything that was just theirs. And it's like a vow in some way, a vow that they actually kept to each other, even despite the fact that they actually got married and didn't keep their vows, they actually kept this vow. So it's almost like their 17-year-old baby wedding vows, I guess I want to say, that like, and I know they had real 17-year-old wedding vows, but it's like a different one. It's like the little dady kind of like, I don't know, younger, younger than that, younger than where their marriage ends up. That hopefulness, that like, it'll never be over if you don't watch the end of the movie. Exactly. Exactly. That's what I was trying to say. (laughs) Exactly. I was actually kind of awestruck 
that they watched the end of the movie. That, I mean, that closes the circle, right? Right. That tells us it's all done now. They don't, they don't have a running joke anymore. There's, they don't need to do that. There's no more what ifs. Yeah. Right. There's no more questions like what happened to Will and Goodwill Hunting. You know, we, we always could have, we could always dream up a million scenarios of where he was and what he was doing. But now we know how it ends. Heavy. 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 You know, fitting again that they watch it at the place where that's exactly where Kate runs up to them to say that Jack is has been in the fire. So, you know, when you talk about like those full circles of like when his childhood ended, this was he was right back at the same place when his childhood ends again by watching the movie and finishing it out with Sophie. Let's rewind, Kevin, back to the beginning of the hell, his hell of a week. Okay. They've they've had Ron Howard and now M. Night Shyamalan a couple of times on his like cameos. I, I, I Something about that just charms me. I like to see big deals in little deals like TV. Well, and why do you think that that works? It adds a, a really superior sense of legitimacy to Kevin being an actual big time movie star. There was a period there where M. Night was sort of not the toast of the town, but he's basically back in terms of having some notoriety and ability to get interesting things made. By having him, by having Ron Howard, you're saying, and not just saying this is Ray Lancaster, you know, that big director, he's he's made uh, all those big things. You actually have people that have made big things. And it's just, it, it finishes up their his end of the world in a way that's like, he is a big deal. He's not working on independent movies or, or something like that. He's working on big cinema movies. You know? Yeah. And the way that they can plug in the real face and the real name with it. Again, they could have made up a whole world. There's no reason to do that. They could have told us that this was a big shot director, but it didn't have to be a real life big shot director. So I agree with you. That's a cool like layer to it makes it our world that this is happening in. Right. Nice. Yeah. Grounds it, doesn't it? Right. John Legend comes and plays at his his thing, not just some random singer. Yeah. Good call. Know? Well, and for those of people who don't watch M. Night Shyamalan movies, add to it. Why does he in particular match the episode? Twist ending. There's a moment when they walk off and you don't get to hear their conversation. But when he comes back, he says that, that the trick is to give them the ending that they want, but they don't see it coming. I'm not sure that we got that completely in this episode, but unless the ending that you want is that Kevin finally can have a free heart up to this point, no matter which, who, what woman he was, he would, he would have been with. If Sophie would have called and said anything, right. He, he would have gone. There's a, probably a fair chance that he would still do that now, but not with the same ready to swoop in sort of mentality that he would have had leading up to this point. I'm not going to remember the exact wording that M. Night uses, but it's basically like Kevin says something like, I thought that the ending that we shot gave great resolution to the story. In a way, that is the same as our show. Like we have already been given all the information and and supposedly a resolution to their story in terms of like, she has a fiance, she's getting married, they had their try again, it didn't work out, you know, resolved, mm -hmm. not together. But it's interesting, this idea that it's a twist that the audience didn't even know they wanted, that he says is why they're reshooting. And so in that case, what you said about, it's not that this needed to end with Kevin and Sophie together, it needed to end with Kevin's heart free to be with someone else with a clear mind and a clear heart and knowing that the story with Sophie had fully ended. Like he came full circle closure on that. It's the it's the ending you didn't know you wanted. Mm -hmm. So I appreciated that they verbalized that. Yeah. It was a cool little moment within a moment. That, of course, is when he finds out about Sophie's mom. Right. And we, we start to get that backstory of Claire come into the scene. What did you think about him going to the funeral? How that all unfolded with Sophie? I mean, I know how the episode ends. So I'll tell you what I felt watching this part. Okay. Which is proud of his character in that he just a couple of weeks ago, not exactly took advantage of Cassidy, but kind of. I mean, she's an adult. She, he didn't force himself on her, but right. she was vulnerable. He slept with her and shouldn't have for that same guy a couple of weeks later to have to have kind of absorbed the shaming, the the Nikki slash Hallucin hallucination Jack gave him and be like, you know what? Here's another vulnerable woman that means a lot to me, but I'm going to keep my distance 
and let her decide what happens next. He did. And that was like, I think that's qualifies as growth <laughs> for this guy. Everything from the fact that he sat down in the pew, like further back, allowed her to give her speech, but then was there when she needed the little visual touch base to finish her story. And he didn't rush up into the house at the way he didn't force himself into the situation. Like you said, all those things that it felt like with Cassidy had gone so questionably and Nikki pointing out all the things of like, you know, you kind of wedged yourself in there between her and her husband with Cassidy, you know, with everything you've done. And now here he was trying to be respectful of the fact that Grant was there and and the rest of Sophie's family and friends whom I'm sure are not, you know, 100% on board with on Team Kevin, you know, I'm sure Sophie's had a lot of sad moments that I'm sure she shared with all of them about things that he did that yeah. hurt her, which I think actually the second time that they got back together, I think there was notes of that that she said like, well, you know, you can't talk to Joyce or you can't talk like they still hate Yeah, you. I remember something about like that. Like that kind of thing because yeah, I mean, that's of course who she'd run to and it makes complete sense. So I applaud him and I like the camera work of them showing him in the reflection of the window and seeing through the window to her talking on the phone and to him being outside talking on the phone where you could see both of them yeah. on the, you know, within the window frame, but he was on the outside and she was on the inside. I thought that that was well, very clever. It, it might've been a special effect, but without seeing any, you know, camera crew reflections or anything like that that it is tricky stuff it's almost like he was probably projected onto it or something instead of it being an it actual might have reflection. been a special effect but but still it Agreed. was very very sure. very well done it's interesting though even even in a reserved state kevin cannot help but be charming so he stops and gets meaningful donuts of course Smooth stuff, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I and I did appreciate the story, the Jack-esque speech of you'll be able to go back to that coffee shop again someday. You know, same like he was able to go back to that campfire location again, even though it's it still makes him sad to be there. He is at least able to be there and same and she will be able to go back there for coffee again. Not that it will it will be the same, but but certainly she won't have to feel like she has to avoid it anymore. You know, that that hopefulness. And Sophie says, you know, Grant, the fiance is, you know, he's he's great at logistics, but he has both of his parents. So he doesn't really understand what it's like to lose a parent. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's a big piece of it, too. And the little flash that they show of Sophie consoling him at Jack's funeral, which is a, one of the few glimpses of Jack's funeral that we've had. It was really good to remind audiences that she's been around through a lot with him. Yeah. And the part where she said, it's weird to me that I'll be with someone, a man for the rest of my life who will have never really known my mom. And that's like such a weird feeling for me. Uh, all that stuff, all that stuff just adds up to that. He really did a bad job with her. You know, like he really abused that situation in such a irredeemable sort of way. And it's just so sad. I have to assume that at some point they're going to walk us through that time period that we're going to find out what was going through Kevin's head at the time, what was going on in their marriage when this breakdown happened, because we haven't actually been given that. We were just we were told that he cheated on her. But pretty much in every other part of this show, they'll tell us something. But then there's flashbacks and we get to live through it a little bit and understand everyone's point of view a little bit more. Do you think that we'll actually delve into like WTF with that? Or now that the ending of the story has been told, we're not going to get anything more. I kind of think Alexander Breckenridge's run on the show is probably done at this point. They could have filmed it, though, a long time ago. It could be something that could be plunked in Well, this could be later. the sort of thing that, that falls in line with the older teenage Kevin. You know, like that could be where we get that if, say... Oh, very true. Yeah. We get to the point where we need to show Kevin... At like 25 or it, like we don't know when they busted. Yeah. I don't know off the top of my head. Like, I don't know if they were married one year or 10 years or whatever. I'm not sure. So in that case, yeah, they would just age up our teenage right. actors. So then it doesn't really matter where adult Sophie is. They, they have a lot of flexibility doing it that way. That's my guess. Because she's on a new, she's on a different show. Multiple different shows, I believe she has been on now. I also know that they have said that they've shot all kinds of footage with the little kids. Because they're definitely aging. You know, we had those like preteen ones and we had the littler guy ones. They shot apparently a ton of footage of them with all different lines and all different things were said 
as to plunk them in for flashbacks as we move forward. Because smart, some of those guys. I mean, think about it. The the they like grow fast. Well, the ten year old Kate, she's like what, like got to be like thirteen now or something. Like you know, there's no way she's not going to change the way she looks. Specifically, that preteen group yes. is going to age into the age where they already had actors playing. Yes. That time period. Yes. So. And and just be like too tall and too whatever, like get too thin or do, you know, things that just aren't going to match anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's why I'm leaving a little window that like it's possible that they did film something with Kevin and Sophie as adult characters five years ago or three years ago or whatever, way back at the beginning, because they knew they knew that he was going to cheat on her back then when they told that when they began the story. So filming how he cheated on her, what was the circumstances could have happened when they were filming right after the pilot. It says a lot about NBC or Fox or whoever actually owns the show and their belief in Fogelman's execution and vision, because TV, they don't let you shoot extra things. But he was given like, several seasons right after season one mm -hmm. you know so my guess is that that's when like a lot of stuff was filmed your belly get a little like kevin what are you doing but when he takes her to the old make out place and be like so a lot of memories here huh yes yes i was super worried about that but that's where i'm going back to your growth story of like you know maybe he really did learn a lesson with nikki and everything and i was really crossing my fingers that that was the case however Moving forward in this storyline, we find out uh, for all of you guys out there who have been saying, give Kevin a, a break. Oh, my goodness. With the two steps forward, 10 steps back moments with him. This feels so bad. Now, to be fair, to be fair, that's what they say on Letter Kenny whenever anyone says to be fair. Yeah, I'm not going to do that. Why couldn't he have a relationship with Madison? I mean, just because she's Kate's friend, it was, should have gone through channels. I think sleeping with your sister's best friend when you are an extremely good looking guy who probably has poached friends of hers in the past is probably very sad face. Kate only has one friend that well, we've been shown. She has the neighbor. That's true. You get what I mean. I mean, this is against like every bro code slash sibling code. Mm, I don't like think that. you do this. I don't think you do this. And frankly, Madison... All eyes on you. Unless he drugged her. I mean, what are you doing? Because they clearly went back to her place. That was a very girly bed. When uh, they were on the phone, I think Kate was home. But Kevin wasn't at her home, half naked. Yeah. Does speak to a semi-planned sort of, sort of thing. Well, and I feel a little bit like, you know, we were duped here because Dan Fogelman, the creator... Madison, the actress, is his actual wife in real life. And he had said early on, because there had been a lot of speculation that Madison and Kevin would be a logical pairing, and maybe that's why they were even bringing her into the fold as Kate's friend. He tweeted out, she is my real life wife, and there is no way that I am going to allow her to be in love scenes with Justin Hartley. Do you think I'm crazy kind of thing? Like, So knowing that that came out, I don't know if that's like one of those things where like, if you really look at the scene, she's all wrapped up in the blanket. They're never touching each other. He's where he has no shirt on, but he's certainly not nude. Right. You know, like there's a lot of parts to it when you look at it, you're like, well, I mean, you only see the tuft of her hair, you know, and you know, she's fully clothed underneath there. I don't. Did he trick us or what? I don't have anything against these two people being together. If Within the storyline, it does make sense that it would not have been weird for them to have sought each other out in the way that Madison's already a part of their family in so many different ways. She's been around for years. They've had a lot of like, you know, intersecting moments of like planning the wedding or the baby shower or, you know, just stuff that's been going on. Well, and there's been a little bit, not I wouldn't say sparks, but kindling anyway, because there's been a couple of looks back and forth that have made people ask the prompt question, right. Fogelman for that kind of information. So, I mean, it's it's not from nothing. And there was a lot of stuff in this episode that just, they just poof, they just brought up and they like, oh, Sheep. this has been the thing the whole time. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing, though. How do we feel about Kevin? Knowing that this is going to make life complicated, knowing that, you know, chances are he would have needed to come speak to Kate. And P.S. It's not like they went out on a date and they've built up to this. I mean, right. 
it's like they just slept together. You know, I mean, it was very just that's what happened. Given all the stuff we just said about growth, is this a big backslide for Kevin? Like if Uncle Nicky was in the other room, would he come in and be like, God damn it? He would because she had just said that she was feeling like shit. She just gotten dumped. So she's in this vulnerable sort of isn't that exactly what happened with cassidy rebound she said i'm being dumped by my husband i just got my divorce papers during the phone call you can see he's trying to find an escape route out of there oh yeah so that made me sad for him the growth the larger (sighs) growth with sophie can't be overshadowed by this because he's made this minor mistake before but (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but but it is not unless unless it pans out then it's all for the good yeah if he, if he does can be decent to her he can't call her back he can go to coffee he could do normal things that but will he i don't know that is the big question mark is will he certainly the way that this is going how this is starting to end where he, he's like want to go to the cabin like it's kind of want to get away kind that, of moment it's like the pearson hideout it doesn't speak well to the idea of calling her back tomorrow no and doesn't really feel like he's gonna ask her out for mimosas at brunch I'm not completely dogging them out. They're adults. Adult people can sleep with each other. We've talked about this on several podcasts. I just feel like, oh my goodness, I really thought this particular move was just addressed in such a big way with Nikki and the flashing Jack face. Yes. Zach scenario feels like, oh boy, ah, what happened? It's it's like, unless they show us what happened, it's like he can't help himself. It's like his actual addiction might be sex. Whoa, that's interesting. We haven't gotten into that. Hmm. Well, there you go. Maybe that's where this is going. We know that Madison has like an addictive she does. issue. Yeah. So who knows? So they make choices that are maybe not, not good Good for themselves, that's for darn sure. The big fat $100 million question is, is Sophie, is Cassidy, is Madison pregnant lady in the cabin? Or is it a completely unknown woman? Are you putting your money on the table here? I am perfectly happy for it to be Madison. Okay. However, I just don't see it. Okay. But, I mean, if it happens, then then I'll be the first one in line with my, with my sign that says good for them but i just don't see it i would like to throw this out on like the if you're looking at it from the behind the scenes point of view for the fogelman household wouldn't it be a hell of a lot smarter to make madison a part of the pearson crew in terms of money in terms of once the show ends she can go on go on the little signing tours as kevin's wife and all those kinds of things she's not going to be able to do Go to cons as Madison. Yeah, no, that's, that's not, not going to be enough. So if you were the Fogelmans and you were ending your show in the next year or two, if I'm your wife, I would say, get over it, Paul. You could write me in in a way that like this could bring money in now to our household. And I could ride this a little bit longer and go do things like with the cast as like a Pearson family member. Freaking get over yourself. I promise I'll be bundled up in the sheets and he can be with his pants on at the corner of the bed talking on the phone. Don't ever write a scene where we're necessarily doing anything over the top. But doesn't it monetarily like just make sense to to make her more important in the show? That's what Kurt Sutter does with Katie Seagal, right? What I would do. I mean, but Bill Murray do the same thing with his brother. Doesn't Ron Howard do the same thing with his brother? Clint Howard. You got it. I mean, that makes sense from from the meta perspective. And I don't see why it doesn't make sense in the show show world either. In the storyline? Yeah. I mean, I think that it makes a lot more sense than Cassidy. I don't really want it to be Sophie at this point because uh, the thing about it, if it it was Sophie, it would have that yucky feeling that we have when they go back and they show us Rebecca and Jack breaking up as like 20 year olds where you're like, but I already know how this goes. Like if you give us a storyline now where Kevin and Sophie do end up together with a kid later on down the line, then it's like, why do we have to go through the metaphor of the goodwill hunting? People will do a How I Met Your Mother style revolt on this and leave you, you think know? so yeah you don't think they'll they'll just like they'll just be like well i had hoped they'd get together somehow anyway um, like maybe grant dies in a fiery crash then this point of this episode was that's what i'm saying but how many have we sat through with the this isn't gonna work jack i don't know sleeping on mcgill's couch 
<sighs> How many of those have we had to sit through when we know good and well they end up together at the end of the show? So, like, are will people put up with that? And do they want that to happen or no? Not this guy. Like the same sort of thing that happened at the game at the end of Game of Thrones, where they sort of reversed a lot of the growth that the characters had made over the seasons to have them still revert to the kind of things that they did in the first season made people hate the ending of Game of Thrones. If they did that here, I don't see why they wouldn't get the same result. This episode represented growth for Kevin to be able to put Sophie in in his history books, basically. Okay. Yeah. Put him with the sh- put her put her with the sheep mobile. At the goodwill. At at the goodwill. As at Rebecca's. the goodwill hunting. Oh my god. Oh my god. His sheep went to goodwill, and Sophie ends with the goodwill hunting. Holy. Oh, you just cracked this thing open. That just happened, you guys. Jesus Lord. Okay, so there's last couple of moments here that we need to get to, which is that the big three have been all having a shitty old week. We get this phone call between all of them where Kevin patches through with Kate and they all decide that they're going to go to the cabin. I am actually very much looking forward to this big three cabin moment where everybody's lives are in shambles and they are going to come together as a family. I found it interesting that in the flashback, they cancel Rebecca's birthday dinner in order to go get Kate from whatever's going on. It appears something terrible between her and Mark. It seems like Rebecca has finally noticed enough red flags. I find this interesting, though, about the canceling of the birthday dinner. Because flashing forward to what we know has happened is going to happen for their 40th. We know that essentially there's like a canceled birthday celebration with the big three. Right. Ah, Good parallel. Feeling like that they didn't have to make it Rebecca's birthday. They didn't have to have this cancellation or whatever that that didn't have to be part of it. But the idea of you have the words cancel birthday and we're going to the cabin. Wasn't Mark and Kate at the cabin? Isn't that what they were where they were going to go? I believe so. So then you've got these these little nuggets, cabin, birthday, canceled. Everybody's in trouble. Things are in shambles. Mixing together at the end of this episode and the hell of a week and what we know is coming. Those are all my little puzzle pieces. Those How are... you like them apples, Powell? Yeah, your brain works, man. It really glues together these parts. Makes makes it make a lot of sense. Thanks. If Madison's last name is like hunting or like Damon or something. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. Toby's last name's Damon. Oh, is there any Robins in the show? We better start piecing it. There's a William. Is, this, is there a Ben or an Affleck? <laughs> is there a Ben or an Affleck? Ooh, I don't know. Now we're going to have to start thinking about it. Is there an Affleck? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that one. Well, you guys, we super hope you enjoyed the coverage of this one. I feel very much... Like this next episode, we know we're moving over to Kate. We know we are going to delve into Toby and his confession of not really bonding with Jack, not really becoming the dad he needs to be for him. We can see in this episode, they do reveal that Kate does decide to go ahead and take off with the baby to go to the blind children's retreat without Toby and that Toby's at work. So that spells trouble. Things are not going well. Hey, wait, wait. You know what I just realized? What? That retreat was a birthday gift for Toby, which means that it was over his birthday weekend, which if he didn't go, that spells a third canceled birthday. What do they have against birthdays? Curses. Vogelman! See you next week. Join us on our new venture called Pod Clubhouse. Come on over and listen to more podcasts from a variety of collaborating podcasters. Thanks for listening, pod people. Thanks for listening to my mom and dad. You don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Just go home, folks.